I'm going to read Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 to 18. Hear now God's holy word. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, you're the God of all grace and the God of all joy, and you speak to us because this is your word. We pray that your spirit would be with us, be with me as I proclaim your word, that my words would be true and come with the demonstration of the spirit and power, and that you would be with each of us in as we hear, that we might remain focused, that we might understand your word, that it might speak to our hearts. Would you conform us to the will of our Savior, Jesus Christ? And we pray these things in his name. Amen. You may be seated. Several years before the book of Philippians, this letter to the Philippians was written, Paul wrote a letter to the church in Rome and he said, God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, how I remember you all the time, asking that by some way, at some point, God, through his will, might bring me to see you. I long to see you. I long to impart some spiritual gift to you. That is, I long to be mutually encouraged by you, by your faith, and by mine. And now, several years later, Paul is actually in Rome. God has answered his prayer. And yet the route that the, the Lord brought the Apostle Paul as he answered that prayer of Paul's was probably not of Paul's choosing. It began with Paul being beaten in Jerusalem, being arrested for perhaps inciting a riot by attempt on Paul's life, resulting in a centurion escort in the dark of night, taking Paul to Caesarea, where he would await trial. And there he waited for two years, two long years, waiting for trial under house arrest, at which point, as a result of a corrupt politician. There was an unjust judgment resulting in Paul appealing to Caesar, appealing to go to Rome. And the appeal was granted and Paul was put on a ship to go through the Mediterranean on the way to Rome. And on the way he faced hardship and shipwreck. And finally he arrived at Rome as he had hoped, as he had longed. But he was in chains and somehow the church of Philippi heard about it. And so they had sent Epaphroditus, one of their own, with a gift and to find out word of how Paul was doing. And after 
some lengthy period of time, Epaphroditus returned to Philippi with this letter in tow. And you can imagine that the Philippian church was eager to hear how their beloved Paul was doing. Was he mistreated further? Had he been beaten? Had Did he have everything he needed? Was that gift that we sent enough? Was he... Was he discouraged because he was in chains, that he wasn't able to go out proclaiming the gospel? Was, had he lost hope in the power of the gospel? But what Paul said was none of those things. His, his response to them was good news, good news. The gospel's advancing. I want you to know, brothers, What has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. And beloved, what we need to understand is that a call to Jesus Christ by faith, salvation in Jesus Christ unites us to Jesus Christ by faith. And that is a call to suffer for the sake of Christ. Just as Jesus Christ suffered, so we can expect to suffer. We are united to Christ by faith in his glory, but we are truly members of him. We become members of his body, and we live in a world that is at war with our Savior Jesus Christ. And so we can expect a similar war against us. We can expect affliction and hardship every step of the way. But this is a book about joy. (laughs) And true joy, beloved, true Christian joy is found in seeing and remembering that God works his glorious purposes in Christ Jesus through us, regardless of the circumstances that he brings us. And in this passage, Paul gives kind of two groups um, where he sees this gospel advancing. This, this, this was his, his mission to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he, he'll tell us about fruit among unbelievers, gospel fruit among unbelievers, and then gospel fruit among believers. And that's where we'll look as we proceed through the passage. First, there was, there was an advancing of the gospel among unbelievers. He says, Um, It's become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. This imperial guard was the Praetorian Guard, an elite group of 9,000 Roman soldiers handpicked for this duty, given honored with double pay, uh, extra pension, and special Duties, And one of those duties was to guard imperial prisoners like Paul with an attached chain. And Paul would have been under guard around the clock, 24-7, and yet he would have had certain freedoms. He wasn't in a dark and dusty dungeon. He was probably in a house, and he was able to receive visitors, as we hear Elsewhere, he was able to obviously write letters, and he was able to attend to uh, other routine matters. And these soldiers would guard on four-hour shifts, which means, in Paul's mind, he had four hours 
of a captive audience in which to share the gospel of grace day after day and week after week and month after month. And you can imagine some of those conversations as day after day Paul's presentation of the gospel became sharper and clearer, more powerful and effective. You imagine the, the soldier coming on duty and saying, why are you in chains? Well, I'm in chains for proclaiming the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, what is that, what is that message? He says, well, you, you, are a, uh, you are a soldier. You uh, serve the emperor. You are under his authority. You consider him Lord and King. You bow the knee to the emperor. You, he demands your worship. Well, I can tell you that he is not the ultimate authority, but God who created the heavens and the earth is. And he has sent his son, Jesus Christ, to become a man under his authority, to be fully obedient. But he didn't come in pomp and circumstance like the emperor does. He came in humility, born into poverty, born into weakness. He came to proclaim a message of salvation, that we are prisoners, we are slaves to sin. But he came to set us free. He came to do that by living perfectly and in obedience to his father. Out of love for his people, he proceeded in obedience to the cross, a Roman cross, one of your own. And he had done nothing wrong, and yet he willingly was nailed to that cross as a public display of his love to the Father and his sacrifice for his people. And he was obedient to death. And yet God raised him from the dead and vindicated him. And you bow the knee to the emperor, but I tell you this, Jesus Christ has been made Lord and Master. He has, been, he has ascended into the heavenly places. He's been seated at the right hand of the Father. And one day, the emperor will bow his knee to Jesus Christ. Every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That he is King of kings and Lord of lords. Yeah, but isn't that just a message for you Jews? Not at all, my friend. The gospel is the power of God for all who believe, Jew and Gentile. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace. God has extended his grace even to you Gentiles. In fact, the very first Gentile convert was a Roman soldier just like you, a centurion by the name of Cornelius in the town of Caesarea. And so the conversations would go. Some of the soldiers would mock, scoff. Many would doubt. But some would believe. Some who had bowed the knee to the emperor would now bow the knee to Jesus Christ. And every four hours, shift change would come. And the message would percolate throughout the entire Roman guard. So the conversation changed from who are you to, wait a minute, are you Paul who preaches Jesus Christ? And it says to, to the point where it was known throughout the entire imperial guard and the rest. 
He's, uh, the rest, probably some imperial officials who knew about Paul's imprisonment. So basically anybody who knew that Paul was in prison ended up knowing why. But there, there's something that we can't miss either. That it gets lost in our English translations. Um, what Paul actually says, um, it, it's, it, there's, it's in verse 13, it, it's translated um, that my imprisonment is for Christ. My imprisonment is for Christ. What Paul actually says is that he says, it's become known that my imprisonment is in Christ. Now, it would have been one thing if Paul was imprisoned for something that he did. Uh, if he was going around proclaiming this message, which was agitating people, making them angry, and as a result of trying to quell any kind of rebellion or uprising, the, the Roman officials took and put him in prison. Lots of people were doing things that caused problems and resulted with them being put in prison. That's why people are put in prison often. But he says, it's known that my imprisonment is in Christ. And by that, he means because of his union with Christ, he sees his imprisonment as evidence of that. The, the chain on his leg is proof that he is bound to Jesus Christ in his glory, but also in his sufferings. He knows that just as Jesus Christ came to suffer in order to set Paul free, we suffer through our union with Christ. And remember, this is a letter that he is sending to the Philippian church, and he's intending to encourage them because they are faced with sufferings and trials for the sake of the gospel. He'll say in verse 29 of this chapter, it's been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Our union with Christ, our salvation in Jesus Christ is should cause us to anticipate that we will suffer for the sake of Christ. We, we have to rejoice in that, in fact. But that's, that is a hard and bitter pill for us to swallow. We take this from the Philippians and try to apply it to our own lives. It, it is a, uh, requires a a gut check of our faith. It is, it is a true matter of faith to even consider putting ourselves in harm's way for the sake of the gospel. Because it, if we're going to risk something important to ourselves, or we're going to risk our lives, it better be worth it. It better be true. And so it requires this gut check of do we really believe this gospel that we say with our mouths? Or are they just words? Because if we believe it, if it's true that God has sent his son to save us and he has joined us to him, and if it's true that we will suffer for his sake, then we shouldn't shrink back from that. 
But the other side of it is, is a gut check of whether we believe that God will truly do what he says he will do. I mean, yeah, Paul, Paul was able to, God, God worked through Paul's life to advance the gospel, but is that really my calling? Is that really what I should expect God to do through me? I mean, surely there are other people who are called to put themselves in harm's way for the sake of the gospel. But there's, beloved, there, there's great honor in what we have been called to because we, have, we are called, we, we are joined to Christ and our suffering is not a punishment for us, but it is a means of proclaiming even the sufferings of Christ in the midst of this world. We as his body will bear the marks in our own bodies of his work for us. And it brings great praise and glory for our Savior, Jesus Christ. But to do so is, is tough. Um, this past October, my wife and I went up to visit our daughter, Rebecca, Wheaton, and um, we went to worship with at the church where she's been attending. And following worship, we met a gentleman who had just been fired from his job for proclaiming the gospel, sharing the gospel with his coworkers. And he had even gone through an appeal process and shared the gospel with the HR representatives on his way to being fired. And I couldn't help but ask myself, wonder in my own mind, as I thought back to my times as a software consultant, would I have been willing to risk a customer relationship for the sake of the gospel? Would I have been able, been willing to risk a lucrative contract? And I could immediately feel, hear this rush of justification and rationalization coming into my heart, you know, telling myself, well, surely, surely everybody was better off by just keeping quiet. Beloved, what, what are the things that you do to keep yourself out of harm's way, to, to keep you from suffering for the sake of the gospel? Is it that you keep yourself so busy that you just don't have time to talk about Jesus? Is it that you avoid situations that, you are, that are out of your control? Or have you carefully constructed a life that is compartmentalized, where it's like I've got my work time or I focus on work things and I keep my work conversations as is and then i got my Jesus time some other time. Beloved, there, there's, there's great joy that Paul experiences when he's suffering for the sake of the gospel and we rob ourselves of, the, of that joy when we try to live safe lives. So we ought to be Lavish. We have to. We have to plunge headlong into the joy of proclaiming Christ with our lives. the The, the other side of what he saw in Rome was fruit among believers. Though um, he says, uh, verse fourteen, he says, 
Most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. There is a, a boldness that comes about from among the brothers, which is wonderful. It's not that they weren't bold. They become much more bold, having become confident by his imprisonment, which, which is surprising, isn't it? Because you know, we shrink back because we think about the worst that could possibly happen. But here, the, the worst has literally happened to Paul, and everybody's becoming more bold. They're becoming more encouraged with the gospel. And I think that's because God never permits the worst to be as bad as we think it will be. There's always, God is always at work. God is always accomplishing his purposes, and it's never as bad as we fear. Our fears are false prophets. And, of course, that was most clearly seen in the work of our Savior, Jesus Christ. I mean, if you remember, before, as he was on his way to Jerusalem, he told his disciples, hey, it's time for us to go to Jerusalem. And his disciples said, teacher, we can't do that. <laughs> They're going to do bad things to you. It's not going to turn out well. They were afraid of what could happen. And Jesus knew what was going to happen. He said, no, I, I must go. And he knew he would be betrayed. And he knew that he would be falsely accused. And he knew he would be beaten. He knew the nails would be nailed through his hands and his feet. He knew he would be publicly shamed. And yet he did it. He did it knowing that God is faithful. Knowing that God would be glorified perfectly through his work. Knowing that through that progress, that, that work on the cross, he would set his people free and grant them eternal life in his name. And God was faithful. He knew that God would raise him from the dead and seat him above all heavenly realms. And so he did. And beloved, you and I will never suffer to the extent that our Savior Jesus Christ was. Praise God for that. And if God was able and willing to do what he did for Jesus, then we who are united to Jesus can expect that he will deliver us and he will add meaning to our suffering for the sake of the gospel just as well. So these, these brothers are, 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 are bold. They're more emboldened, but the problem is not all boldness is good boldness, is it? Paul Paul concedes that uh, there's actually a couple groups of brothers there in the, in the church in Rome. There are the friends, and then there are the rivals. He says, verse 15, Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing I'm here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry. Not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. We don't know the source of the rivalry. They, perhaps the Philippians asked Epaphroditus about it when he showed up and got more details. We can speculate about what could have been going on. Uh, honor was viewed as a zero-sum game. So if somebody else was receiving honor, that meant that I... That, I was getting less honor, and so here's Paul in a moment of being in prison. Here's an opportunity for me to promote myself and give myself more honor. 
It's speaking of envy. Perhaps it was they were jealous of the fruitfulness of Paul, the honor that he was getting as an apostle of Jesus Christ. And, and they wanted some of that honor for themselves. You know, there, there was clear division within the early church. Uh, the letter to the Corinthians, Paul talks about there were these factions. There was, well, I, I, I follow Paul. Well, I follow Paulus. No, I follow Peter. So maybe these were of the team Paul or team team Apollos against team Paul. Here's Paul in prison. Let's uh, let's get ahead. Or maybe they just didn't like the, some of the things that he wrote in the the letter to to the Romans. And here was an opportunity for them to set the record straight or preach the gospel a little more clearly. They didn't like his style, whatever it was. These brothers were preaching Christ out of envy and rivalry. Beloved, what I think what we need to hear the Holy Spirit say is, and to remind us is that the church of Jesus Christ is a bit of a mess. It's a glorious mess, but it's, it's a mess. We, we have been united to Christ and we are joined together with a true unity. That is, it is a strong unity, but it is also a very fragile unity. It's strong because we are united to Christ Jesus with an unbreakable bond. He is invincible, and we are bound with the spirit of power and might, and no one will snatch us away from him. We are bound up with him forever and ever, and yet and as such, we're bound to each other. We, we will be with each other in glory, praise God. And yet there's a fragile unity in that we are at war with the world and the flesh and the devil. We're called to be one, and yet the devil would have like nothing more than to sow division and discord. We are in a world that hates the church wants to make fun of the church, wants to make a mockery of the church, highlights the church's flaws and weaknesses and hypocrisies. And we have our own sinful inclinations. We've got our own biases, our own desires that war against each other, war against ourselves. And so there's this fragile unity. And so Paul even commands us over and over, like, make every effort to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. It's something that we're commanded to do to pursue it. And Paul models that here because here are these brothers, these, these members, these people that are his rivals and they're thinking to afflict him. And what does he call them? He calls them brothers, Calls them brothers. He remembers that they're brothers in Christ. And even though they seek to do him harm, their, their intent is to harm him. He's going to overlook it. He seemingly overlook it, at least. Because he says... Um, there's these different intentions. Some are trying to do it for good reasons, some for bad. He said, but, but what then? Or who cares? Or what's the point? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or truth, Christ is proclaimed. He keeps his eyes fixed on the goal, the glory of 
Christ Jesus. And he's willing to overlook this offense that is in his direction. Beloved, such uh, self-denial is, is humbling. I mean, these are brothers in Christ. They ought, they ought to know better. This is, this is the Apostle Paul, that they're, they're not supporting him. They're working against him. And why did he just write another letter with some strongly worded, divinely inspired language to condemn these brothers and tell them, what are you doing? He overlooks it. And we're, we are so competitive. Or maybe I'm just the only one. But we want to win we want to be right. We want to be vindicated. And not only that, imagine the, heart, the heartache of the Apostle Paul. Because remember what he said, he wrote to the Romans. He said, I long to see you that I might impart some spiritual gift. We might be a mutual encouragement to one another. And here's the encouragement. I'm going to preach Christ in order to get you down, Paul. I'm going to be against you. And yet, beloved, do you see Paul's encouragement in that? He says, praise God. Christ is preached. Men who were bold have become more bold. There are more faithful proclaimers of the gospel. He's able to look past that. And beloved, in your desire to be right, to win and to be vindicated, can you set those desires on hold for the sake of the gospel? Can you find a way in your heart to say, praise God, Christ is preached even when it is at my expense? That's the heart that Paul demonstrated there. That's, that's the example that he gave for us. And beloved, that's the example that was there in Christ Jesus. He was shamefully treated. He was scorned. He was betrayed by a friend. And yet God, he, God vindicated him. Our salvation is dependent upon his faithfulness in seeing God's glory be made manifest despite it coming at his expense. And beloved, what, what you need to know is that Christ Jesus is our hope. We can look at these things and we can say, oh, man, I've really screwed up. You know, I, I've, I've had plenty of opportunities to share the gospel and I've slinked away from it. I've been afraid or... You know, I've been so angry about these things. I've let my anger, my frustration get in the way of my love for Christ. And what you need to know, beloved, is that Jesus Christ came for people like you and me who are afraid and who shrink back and who are angry people. He bore those sins in his body to set us free. And that is our hope, not in our faithfulness, but in his faithfulness. 
But beloved, what you also need to know is that he has given us not a spirit of timidity, but of boldness and of love. And God reveals to us that he works his grace through our suffering for the sake of the gospel. And that is where the true joy comes from, beloved. It's in the the reaction, the perspective to the suffering. Paul sees his imprisonment and doesn't focus on his situation, but on what God has done that could only have been done through his situation. Only through his imprisonment could the entire imperial guard and all the others come to hear of the gospel. Only through the rivalry could he demonstrate the love of Christ that is greater than our rivalry. And that, beloved, beloved, produces joy. And that joy is only in Jesus Christ. If you don't know Jesus Christ, he offers himself to you. He offers you the joy of his salvation forever and ever, but he also offers you the joy of suffering for his sake and seeing God work through you. Beloved, fear and frustration keep us from faithfulness, but it's God's promise of faithfulness through us that drives out fear and causes great joy. In the 1950s, there were five men that were in their 20s that decided that they wanted to do an evangelistic mission to the jungle of Ecuador. And it was a a risky endeavor, but they felt that it was a worthwhile thing. Years later, um, there was a journal entry found by one of the men, men by the name of Jim Elliott. It's a famous statement that was found that captures their boldness. He He said, he is no fool who gives up that which he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. And these these five young men went down to Ecuador. They had great hopes for how they would share the gospel to these Aka Indians, the, the, the Huarani Indians. But their mission was a tragic failure because before they even had a chance to share the gospel, 10 of the Huarani warriors uh, killed all five of these young men leaving behind their, their widows and their young children. But I want you to know, beloved, that what happened actually served to advance the gospel. Because not long after that, Elizabeth Elliot, the wife of Jim, and some other missionaries went back to the jungle of Ecuador, back to that same tribe, to share that same gospel of grace. As a result of their faithfulness to minister to those very same people that murdered her husband, many people came to faith. And beloved, what are you holding on to that is keeping you from proclaiming Christ with your life? Beloved, let go of your fears grab hold of Christ and let him shine his gospel of grace through your life. 
for in that there is true joy. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are gracious to us and that you love us so profoundly that you would use weak and sinful people such as us. We, we are not sufficient for these things, and yet you have been kind enough to give us your spirit. Help us to walk in joy and in gladness and in faithfulness to you, for you are worthy. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.